Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. So anyway, that's why I killed him. You know, it wasn't anything personal or anything. I just, you know, I just wanted to clear that up. I didn't hate the guy or anything, but you know, it just it needed to be done. Well, well from what you well, from what you told me, it sounds like he had it coming. Pretty. I mean, I mean, you, you just you don't do that kind of right. thing. Right. I mean, that's pretty much how I always took it. Was you know, it, it was it was deserved, but but there wasn't any malice involved or anything. Yeah, and it was clean. You know, just hit him on the head with the shovel, and then you know, immediately buried him in the concrete. So mm-hmm. you know. You're covered either way. Cool. Are you ready to do this thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's get the episode started. Cool. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 10 of the show. Holy Good cow. God. <laughs> Seems like only minutes ago that we were recording episode 9. It does, doesn't it? That's bizarre. <laughs> I am Michael Bailey. And I am Scott Gardner. And this week, we are all business, so we are going to get right into the last story, the last comic story from All-Star Comics, because I, I had a little powwow with uh, with Chris, uh, with, I called you Chris again, <laughs> I did that off Son of a bitch! I, I'm not cheating on you with Chris Honeywell, though our Tales of the Defenders uh, podcast will be coming in <laughs> <laughs> It's not a bad idea. He's just the goofball Uh, to do the Defenders, too. uh, That's why I chose Defenders. (laughs) I figured it was the only one I could probably sell He probably would, because he likes uh, likes that wacky weird shit. And what's wacky and weirder than Steve (sighs) Gerber? So there you go. Oh, no shit. No shit. So uh, we're going to go right into the last story from All-Star Comics number three. And I say last comic book story, uh, as I was trying to say before I missaid your name, is there is a text piece in this. It's a Johnny Thunder story. And back in the Golden Age, they would have uh, two-page text pieces basically so that it could get the periodical rate on shipping when they were shipping out the books and such. So basically they could call it a magazine because it has text and not all pictures and words. But um, I'm going to make an, an admission. Uh, uh, there are some Golden Age books that I can read, as I've said before. I'm really, I love the Golden Age Superman and Batman stuff. can read just about all of that all day long. And, and you know, this has been fun to go through. I can't do those text pieces. <laughs> I can't. They're boring. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're not written very well, in all honesty. I mean, I, I slog through the Superman ones just out of obligation. Right. But uh, I don't like Johnny Thunder to begin with. So uh, yeah, fuck him. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> not to put too this fine is... a point on it. <laughs> He's my Jimmy Olsen. So <laughs> the fuckers both wear bow ties. Um. This is uh, this is the Green Lantern story, which was written by Gardner Fox with art by Martin Adele. So it was the creators 
uh, getting in on the action for this one. And Johnny Thunder's like, while we're waiting for the Flash, let's hear from Green Lantern. As you all know, he can streak through the air, walk through walls, is immune to metals, and has other supernatural gifts to use by means of his willpower when he wears his potent ring. Made part of a mysterious Green Lantern and I, I guess, you know like this is a lounge act. Thank you very much for the introduction, John. <laughs> but there's one thing you didn't mention. The ring must touch the lantern. <laughs> that sounds dirty. Once every 24 hours to retain its potency. <laughs> <laughs> I used the ring to help stamp out evil and subsequently became known as the Green Lantern. So... We rush right into a montage of a crime wave that is sweeping Capital City and the public wanting uh, Police Chief Mason out because of the crime wave and some dude named Lacey in. If my name was Lacey, I would change it. Mason is framed for dry bribery and put in jail until a formal trial can be uh, convened. And meanwhile, the mayor bows to public opinion and appoints Lacey to the position of chief. Crime goes down, seemingly, except for green, uh, illegal gambling, which is on the rise. Alan Scott, in his position as a radio engineer, hears talk that GL should investigate uh, Mason's bribery charge. After reciting his oath... And I shed my light over dark evil, because evil cannot stand the light, the light of the Green Lantern. Green Lantern goes into the night and convinces columnist Paul Pryor to write a column about how Mason was framed. Thugs go to Pryor's house to rough him up, but Green Lantern is there and takes them all out. He uses his ring to hypnotize one of the men into telling him everything. So GL rushes to the big boss's house, but is knocked out by a man called Ape. That's his nickname. With a wooden club, because... As opposed to an ape named ape. (laughs) An ape named guy, that's what you mean. Um, Because wood is one of the few substances that Green Lantern is vulnerable to. Which must suck in, like, this era where everything was made. Yeah, this is the fucking 40s, man. Everything was made of wood. Lacey is revealed to be the big boss and confronts Green Lantern, but then leaves to stop Pryor's broadcast. Green Lantern takes out Ape and rushes to the studio where Lacey is actually trying to arrest Pryor. Uh, Green Lantern forces him to confess and prevents Lacey from shooting them. Pryor gives his radio address, and Lacey is through. Then the Flash shows up and tells them that the FBI needs the JSA in Washington, D.C. on the double. So it must be, as the Adam says, it must be big if they want the help of the entire Justice Society. What a surprise somebody, somewhere, is going to get. And that is it. That is the end of the first adventure, (laughs) quote-unquote, of the Justice Society of America, since it really wasn't much of an adventure because they weren't all teamed up. Uh, and as we said last uh, a couple episodes ago, this is the last one we're going to be going through. Uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I had a good time doing it. But as Scott said, we're mainly wanting to focus on the era we're, we're, we're currently talking about. And when we say era, <laughs> the more Scott and I talk, we're, we're literally like the era <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that we're talking about of DC in the 70s, which is 16 different kinds of awesome. So... I hope you enjoyed that. I hope, you know, we, we did want to kind of give a few props to the original uh, Justice Society adventures. But from here on out, uh, we, we have a, a new feature in mind for the uh, that you're going to hear at the last part of this, uh, of this particular episode. We're not really going to linger on that too much, so we're going to move on 
to All-Star Comics number 66. This is an important issue, folks. Yes. Because in this issue, All-Star Comics as a logo is much smaller. The Super Squad is gone. And right there in the middle of the page, and pretty much for the rest of this series, Justice Society of of America is right there, large and in charge. Mm Mm-hmm. So we are we are definitely heading into a, a new era because not only do we have that, but we get a new penciler who pretty much sticks with the the JSA until the end of their adventure comics run, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you ever see our logo, that, that picture of the JSA all together is by Joe Staten, who did the art on this issue. The story is called Injustice Strikes Twice. It was written by Paul Levitz. Uh, the artists were Joe Staten and Bob Layton. Bob Layton. Very good. And Liz Barubs was the colorist. There is no roll call, because they pretty much got rid of that at this point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Is there is there a roll call in the next issue? Those bastards. You know, I would swear that there... Yeah, there is a roll call in the next one, because it's short. <laughs> these, these guys suck. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that at all. <laughs> The roll call for this issue is Flash, Dr. Fate, Hawkman, Power Girl, Star Spangled Kid, Superman, Our Man, and Wildcat. I believe that covers it. Could be right. Yeah, that covers it. And Green Lantern. Excuse me. Yeah, I screwed that all up, but let's move on. <laughs> We, the jo- we join the story in Medius Rays, where the members of the JSA find their headquarters invaded by the Injustice Society. Now, wasn't it like two episodes ago, issues ago that this was the Injustice Gang? I think they've kind of gone back and forth and used both terms, I believe. Okay. Uh, Icicle attacks Hawkman, but Power Girl helps out her teammate, drawing the attention of the Wizard. The Star Spangled get- Kid tells her to duck so he can block the wizard's lightning blast, but Power Girl takes the hit, and there is a hint of romantic feelings for Power Girl by the kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may not be romantic. Never mind. (laughs) Maybe another type of feeling. He just wants to get in those white tights. That's what it is. The battle continues with Brainwain taking on Hawkman and the Thinker attacking the Flash. Feeling that they proved their point, the Injustice Society leaves, but not before issuing a challenge. They want Our Man and Wildcat to live. The JSA must battle the evil team in a place of the Injustice uh, Society's ruling, choosing the land of frozen gold and the Isle of Everburning Flame. They leave, and this leads to a flashback where the JSA returns from their last adventure, thanks to Merlin, though the team is concerned that Our Man didn't use the Time Vortex to bring them back. Superman reminds him that, <laughs> reminds them that he has resigned and leaves after yet another freaking touching family moment with Power Girl. <laughs> this time giving her what I call the Superman Lana Lang... Move in uh, in the post-crisis Superman books. Whenever you see Superman and uh, Lana Lang, like Superman leaving Lana Lang, he puts his hand on her shoulders like he's the big brother. Though she's got, she's kind of wrapping her hands around his waist. So it looks uh, like she's about to get his junk out. It really does. <laughs> I wasn't gonna go that far, but okay. It does. Does it not look like she's about to reach in his shorts? It really does. <laughs> A little bit, but um. So, <laughs> he had to throw me off. <laughs> That's my job. But, uh, you know, he's he's basically like, look, if you ever need my help, uh, 
you know, I'll come a calling, but, you know, the old must make room for the young, and my cousin has earned the right to stand in my shadow no more. And Power Girls, what can I say? She, he goes, say nothing, but farewell. <laughs> the Flash tries to enter the brownstone, but is blown out again, and, there, and this is where the issue began. Using the computer, Hawkman figures out that the location locations Icicle alluded to were pro... Proto Bay, Alaska, and an island in the United Arab Emirates. Hawkman splits the team up between him and Star Spangled Kid going to Alaska, while Flash and Power Girl head to the UAE. The kid ain't having any of this, though, and he takes off with Power Girl, who is pissed. <laughs> In Salem, Massachusetts, Inza Nelson threatens to kill her husband if he leaves his Dr. Fate. He leaves anyways, because, you know, he ain't going to listen to his wife. But mostly because Fate's crystal showed him portents of great evil loose in the world. On Das Island, Abu Dhabi, Hawkman and Flash arrive and are quickly joined by Dr. Fate. After comparing notes, they continue on to the island. On the ground, Icicle and the Thinker have our man strapped to a smoking tower that might erupt into flame at any moment. There's a fight, and even after having his cat knocked off, Thinker still kind of holds his own before Hawkman is just like, fuck you, and knocks him out. <laughs> they free our man, but he is in a bad way, and they try to find a hospital that, he will, that will be sensitive to the whole secret identity thing. They leave to find Dick Grayson, who arranges for medical care. Fate and Robin talk about Our Man's condition, and Robin says he needs to clear some clear thinking, and he knows just where to get it. Back in, back in Gotham City, Green Lantern walks around uh, Gotham Broadcasting and mopes about his problems. He starts trashing the place and declares that he will now make the green flame work for him, and to hell with the rest of the world. It is here that we find out the stranger he spoke to in the previous issue was none other than the Psycho Pirate. Dun, dun, dun. Elsewhere in Gotham, a man sits alone in his office looking at the headlines of Green Lantern's rampage. He is interrupted and given a telegram from his ward, and here is where we find out that Bruce Wayne is now police commissioner of Gotham City. In Alaska, Power Girl and the kid find Wildcat tied to the part of an oil pipeline. The Wizard and Brainwave are there, too, and another fight begins. Power Girl takes out the Wizard rather quickly, but Brainwave uses his funky robot thingy to help uh, his comrade in crime. The kid helps out uh, Power Girl, annoying her again, and the Wizard uses this distraction to attack again, but they quickly take him out. After everything is wrapped up, Power Girl, the kid, and Wildcat find that the pipes lead down deep into the ground. Power Girl plans to investigate even if it takes them to the center of the earth. And that's the end of the issue. Sweet. Let's see, is there a good... Next issue, Green Lantern, enslaved by the Psycho Pirate, the fate of our man, and the mystery of Middle Earth unleashed in the, inta- the attack of the Underlord. <laughs> I don't know, what'd you think of this one? Um, okay, story-wise, it's eh. But... All right, this is my biggest biggest and most important note. Joe Staten, baby. <laughs> yes. Joe freaking Staten. And he's inked by Bob Layton. How awesome is that? Yeah, you can't really get much better nope. than uh, than Bob Layton in this era as an inker, except if you got, like, Terry Austin. But, I you know, love, he was busy doing X-Men. Yep. I love, 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 love the art in this. Now, when I conjure in my mind... 
And this is the funny thing is, you know, if if number 65 truly was my first issue, and I'm pretty sure it was, it's really remarkable that when I picture this era in my mind, this is what I see is the Joe Staten artwork and the Joe Staten era of all these characters. I see the Joe Staten version. And that's so weird with, with my first exposure being the Wally Wood stuff. I don't know why that is, but damn, I love the art in this. It's uh, well, it's very. I, I think you. I, I think I'm. It's fair to call it cartoony. I think it's a very cartoony art style. Yet I really, really dig it. I, it's just really dynamic to me. It's unlike anything else that was coming out in comics at the time. You know, people like to associate him more with Green Lantern right. nowadays because he had more of a, a of a stamp uh, or an extended run right with that character. But the issues we're getting into. You know, this is what I think of when I think of the the Justice Society in the seventies. I mean, it's it's not that the previous almost ten issues that we just went through weren't any good because they were, mm-hmm. and the art was up and down. But more often than not, I think it was good. But Joe, he came in, and especially in a couple issue when his style firmly comes into its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But this first issue, I mean, Joe Staten is one of the reasons why I like Doctor Fate. Because he just draws Dr. Fate so awesome. <laughs> I mean, even in this issue, Dr. Fate looks really smooth. And, you know, we joke about, you know, Power Girl putting her hand inside Superman's shorts. But Superman looks really good in that image. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's it's very iconic. He's got that Joe Schuster look, but he's a little more superhero-ish, I guess I should say. You know, more modern. Mm-hmm. And he even draws the little uh, cuff thingies. On it to make it look like he's wearing a, a cotton shirt. Right. Instead of spandex. So I like that little detail as well. But Dr. Fate's costume just looks awesome in this issue. Well, plus, uh, the, he's this is where, at least to my mind, DC's art started to take a turn. You know, we would see this really when... Uh, when like Perez came aboard with like uh, yeah. with JLA in a little while, to where the art started to look a little bit more realistic as far as like anatomy and and how people actually stand and move and hold themselves, and that's one of the things I really like about Staten's artwork is that you know it, it, it has a cartoony style to it, yet the the dynamics and the and the physics of things are a little more accurate and a, and a little less comic booky, if if that makes any kind of sense. No, uh, no, I, I, it's, it's more illustrative right. than, mm-hmm. than cartoony. And, you know, it's just like in the little details he adds, like on on the page where they're, where they're at the hospital in Cape Town, they have uh, Dr. Fate's helmet, and it's got a glint on it, like light is reflecting off of mm-hmm. it. And that kind of detail make, just makes me happy. It makes me smile. It's what I like to see. You know, it's not all perfect because it is his first issue. Like the scene with Green Lantern, Green Lantern, you could see his eyes. Right. And that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. You know, because at least it's consistent all the way through. Because I really hate it where in one thing you see the eyes and then you don't and then you do and then you don't. Right. That bugs the piss out of me. But he adds such little details. Like the scene with Bruce Wayne. The scene with my dog just wigging out. Uh, <laughs> um, but the scene with Bruce Wayne, you see him, and when you get the first full shot of Bruce Wayne, he's sitting there. It's an el- older gentleman in a suit with a pipe, but right behind him, where his shadow should be, it's the shadow of the bat. Right. And, and there's a really good example of this in next issue. 
But uh, even details like the wizard has no pupils. He's just got he's just got white eyes, and it's consistent throughout. Like that's that's part of his power. It's just- I believe he appears the same way. Now that there's a an editor's note here that uh, the wizard will make good on his word to move to Earth One. Because um, he does, because there's a great issue yes. of uh, Secret Society of Supervillains with the wizard, and, and the wizard over there is, is drawn the same way with the, the pupilous uh, eyes and all that. I thought that was pretty cool. Now, something I started to talk about last uh, episode was uh, Batman of Earth 2 yes. appearing in that uh, Justice League crossover story in uh, Justice League 135 through 137. Unfortunately, I I feel like that weakens this sudden appearance of Bruce Wayne just a little bit because I love the way Bruce Wayne is drawn in this. He he's drawn very much as an old man. You know that this this yeah. is Batman past his prime. You know he's retired, and, and now he's he's filling that police commissioner role. I really like the way he's drawn here, and I can't see him. Well, maybe maybe saddling up in the costume. Maybe if he was more like a like in the Dark Knight Returns type of thing, because he looks very grizzled. You know, he looks he looks really old. You know, he's got a lot of age on him. He looks very old, and you know the 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 way that um, Dylan drew him in that crossover. I mean, he pretty much looked exactly like Earth One Batman, just with a slightly different chest emblem. So he didn't yeah, he didn't put any age on him at all. There's no wrinkles, there's no age, there's no beefiness to him, nothing. He he just looks like another version of Batman and I like this. I like I love how Staten and, and Leighton drew him to look like well, an old guy. I think I think we can agree though that as much as we respected Dick Dillon, he wasn't that imaginative of an artist. No, no he's not. And you know, you and I were actually talking about this on Christmas Eve when we were looking at that cover for that Justice League, where I'm like, I hate it when people draw the Earth 2 Batman costume like that. Mm-hmm. Because all he did was just take the yellow oval out of the yeah, yeah, it's exactly like, what he did, yeah. It, you know, it's the exact same type of bat, and one of the great things about the Earth 2 is that he had that kind of 40s and 50s look to the bat, where it had flat sides, not right. rounded sides. And I think that makes it distinctive to the era. Yeah. That's you're you're yeah, absolutely that. right because I'm looking I'm holding in my hand right now Justice League of America number one thirty six and the cover on that it's the Earth two Batman and Robin and all it looks like is it looks like regular old Batman and Robin wearing different uniforms that's all it looks like <laughs> and Batman the only difference is that like you say there's no yellow around the bat but everything else is exactly the same the the style of cowl the color of the uniform, the style of the utility belt, everything is exactly the same. And that's not the the Earth 2 Batman. The Earth 2 Batman no. was, a, was a much closer to uh, – it was kind of an amalgam of the uh, original Golden Age and uh, and like the, the Silver Age, almost like the space stories type stuff. You know, he, he looked more like that. And, Sorry, I couldn't hide my dislike. It's like the only era of... It's basically like this. There's some good stories in that era, but if they ever go off-planet, my interest in the story just plots. Yeah. Not a big fan of that. You know, yeah. Who was it? There was somebody I... Oh, I was, I was like, literally cheering out loud uh, that you had on your show in one of the early episodes that was talking about cosmic stuff. I think they were talking specifically about Marvel cosmic stuff and whenever they would go off, it was like they would just tune the fuck out. And I'm exactly 
the same way. <laughs> it was so remarkable to hear my thoughts coming out of somebody else's mouth because I'm exactly the same way. You you take like the X Men and take them off planet. Scott tunes out totally. I, I'm, yeah. uh, I, I, I could give a shit. There's very few cosmic story. You know, like Superman's one of the few. Like Superman goes off world. I almost expect Superman to go off world. But take yeah, Batman and Robin. Earth one one. Uh, I'm sorry. Especially the Earth One Superman, with how powerful he right. was, that he could get to the other side of the universe in a minute. Right. So, but you know, you take Batman and Robin off planet. Nah, I- I'm not interested. I don't want to see them teaming up with like the Great Gazoo or whatever the hell. You know, I'd, I'd really, you know, so, I don't know. That's a weird tangent, but I, I agree. The, the, I'm going to argue a little bit on the X Men because. Claremont ripped off so much in what he added to the X-Men. Right. And the the space stuff in X-Men was like his homage to Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially when he brought in Corsair and the Star Jammers, that was all Star Wars. So I, I kind of associate the two, so it's more positive. But yeah, you, you take Batman... You know, Green Lantern, yeah, he's going to be cosmic because that's Hal Jordan's thing. Right. He's part of an intergalactic police force. But you take street-level characters, and I'm of the opinion that Batman is a superhero. Flat out, no questions asked, that man's a superhero. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you, can, you know, I've heard people like, well, he's not really a superhero because he doesn't have any superpowers. That doesn't fucking matter. Right. Well, I mean, he's I, got a costume. I, I'm totally with you because, you know, and, and I'm not going to get off on another tangent about this, I swear, but that's my beef with. Batman Begins and Batman be uh, excuse me uh, Dark Knight is as movies and why I think they ultimately fail for me is that they don't treat him like a superhero and, and that's that, I think that's how Batman is I think he's a superhero too but he is street level superhero you can you know as a genre you can have different elements in the genre oh sure so you know it's like westerns it's like science fiction it's not all the same and I think people need to start thinking of superheroes more as a People think, uh, say superhero, they think comic books. They don't think genre most of the time. And that's why I'm always very specific when I'm referring to it as that, a genre. But when you take a street-level character like Batman, and I understand why they did it in the 50s and the 60s, they had, you know, the comics code breathing down their neck. They were trying to clean things up after the Wortham debacle. Even though Wortham really... He didn't have as much to do with the creation of the comics code as people think. You know, he was actually somewhat against it, if I'm remembering my research correctly. But you know, you bring in Batwoman, you bring in the 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 pre you know like the pre Barbara Gordon Batgirl. I'm cool with that because that's making Batman a family. You know, you're just adding characters. Ace the Bathound, love it. You know, no problem with it. The Batman of, of Mars, fuck you. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just like, ugh, God, it just bugs me. And and I'm glad that, you know, in the 60s, th- even before they went to the grim, grimmer and darker, the ba- where they put the the on the Batman. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where were we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, I, I hate it when we lose track of the tangent because... <laughs> But anyways, Joe Staten drew a good Batman. There, that brings it all the way back. <laughs> a couple notes from me. It was a good moment between Superman and Power Girl. But damn it, we've seen this like three times already. <laughs> it was well drawn, but I'm sick of Superman validating Power Girl's feelings. 
and I'm sick of him saying I'm leaving. <laughs> At least this time he left. Though they do address in the uh, one of the letters pages, I think it was a past issue, um, of why he's leaping when he was flying in that Justice League issue. And they said, well, he was under the control of whatever villain they were in, so he had a little more powers. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but uh, that was a good moment. Uh, page seven. I freaking hate Inza Nelson from, like, here until the end of the crisis. Because <laughs> this is all this woman does. Yeah, it is. is. bitch at him. And bitch at him. And I understand that she is worried about her husband and that he becomes something else when he puts on the Dr. Fate helmet. I understand that. But you married him. You knew this was the deal. And I and I hate in fiction, especially with heroes, where you have the wife... Uh, you know, you don't have to have the wife being completely doting and supporting on the husband. I don't want that because you don't have any drama. But it seems it's like either that or... They just freaking hate what the husband's doing and do nothing but give him shit right. out. And that's and that just makes you look like a bitch. Right, and that's pretty much her function for, like you say, up until about the crisis. That's uh, that's what all I remember of her character, honestly, from my childhood, is anytime I would ever see her, she was giving him shit about putting on the, the helmet of Naboo. I mean, it's a good piece of art where she's sitting there huddled with her, her, her head you know, up against her knees, and she's obviously crying. And, you know, it's kind of funny. Kent Nelson, I'm going to kill you if you take one more step towards that mass. <laughs> You're my husband, and I love you, but I swear I'll break your neck if you try to leave. It's like, good God. <laughs> that bitch is crazy. <laughs> and, you know, and maybe that's not fair because, you know, it's just, it'd be like the wife of a cop or a firefighter. But, you know, my barometer on these types of things are is my wife and how she reacts to it. And we've watched several TV shows with cop wives who are all, like, yelling at the husband. And my wife put it simply, what if he dies right after you yelled at him? Right. You know, you don't have to like it, but, you know, support it. Because if it was the other way around and the husband's like, you don't need to do this, he'd be a sexist pig. So I just want equality. <laughs> Damn it. It was nice to see Robin again. I don't think Staten quite had him down yet, but uh, the costume looks good. Because I love this costume. So <laughs> I think he spent most of his time sketching Dr. Fate before starting this, in all honesty. I don't know. I, I like... What's your problem with his... his... It, it's not as sleek as it would eventually become. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, it's not bad, but it's not what it would be. Um, page 15. That's a nice shot of Power Girl's ass. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> well, that's actually one of my notes. One of my big notes is, uh, along with uh, Joe Staten is, uh, wow, Power Girl's boobs and butt. You get a lot of it in this. Uh, I mean, Staten definitely liked drawing Power Girl. <laughs> he, drew, he draws her... With with great boobs, he has a nice firm little belly on her, and then he's, he's constantly showing her ass. I love it. What you gonna do with all that junk? All that junk up in your <laughs> it's Kryptonian junk. I oh. mean, you know, she she's wearing this this skin tight leotard. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's almost like she's naked in a lot of panels. The way he draws her, it's 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 really like he just drew a nude woman. 
and then you know he he put the the leg lines there to where you know the the colorist knew okay color this in white and left out the nipples right yeah <laughs> but I mean you know if if they had colored if they had colored her uniform flesh tone you know there's no stretch of imagination there to you know that that's what she would look like naked pretty much that he just drew it like it was her skin it's pretty pretty ballsy for uh for a you know for a comic from the 70s yeah if this was drawn today you'd have like camel toe and and oh i was checking for that (laughs) (laughs) i'll report back if i spot any i'll let you know (laughs) uh i actually like the green lantern subplot it's uh it was only one page but it seems like that Starting in this issue, Levitz is taking the kind of bizarre, out-of-character stuff that the JSA members have been doing and using it as a plot point. I like that. I like that a lot. Where he, you know, where Batman, Bruce Wayne knows something's up, and you get the sense here from the telegram that Robin sent him that Dick Grayson's like, look, there's something up with these JSA people, and we really need to look at it. Now, I don't know. I don't remember if it plays out that way. But because if memory serves, it plays out very differently. But at the same time, you know, it, it's just it's just cool to see the subplots get interesting. Because the main plot of this story wasn't interesting at all. I'm sorry for all that buildup of the Injustice Society. They got taken down way too quick. Mm-hmm. There was no drama in those fights. They come in and they get their asses handed to them hard. Now I know Our Man was injured. It had to be taken to a Cape Town hospital. And this is a different Cape Town, by the way. As it says, many things happened earlier on Earth, too, than our own globe. Superheroes began their careers in the 1940s, not the 1950s. And South Africa is ruled by its native inhabitants in the year 1977 A.D. Altogether a slightly saner world. So, again, why Earth 2 is cool? Because you can do shit like that. And, and have it be not out of the realm of uh, take you out of the realism of the story because oh on this we're on this world this that happened okay that makes sense to me so i like that i, I like that they're finally showing some sort of difference between the two worlds because uh-huh. i don't think we get a whole lot of that do we not until like all-star squadron uh where we start seeing a few differences between the worlds but uh no i mean you know Love the scene that brought in Bruce Wayne, like I said. I liked that good bit of cross-continuity here where the wizard's saying he will head to Earth-1, and that makes you want to go check out Secret Society of Supervillains, which you should check out anyway. Oh, yeah. Because I have the first four issues, and I loved them. But, um, you know, again, like like I said last issue, I liked everything about this story, this issue except the plot. I liked the characterization. I liked the little bits of subplot, but who gives a shit about the Injustice Society returning at this point? Well, here's the, here's the thing, and this this bugs me anytime you get these these deals where they put together a team and they're going to go fight the superhero team, whether it be the Justice Society, the Justice League, the Avengers, whatever. You've got this massively super powered team of good guys that's got guys like. You know, if it's in DC, you've got guys like Superman and Power Girl and all these super mega powerful people. If it's in Marvel, then you've got guys like Thor and Iron Man and maybe the Hulk or something. And you put together a super villain team to go fight them. 
And what do you do? You find the fucking guy that throws ice, the guy that's a magician, you know, the guy that uses <laughs> psychic whammies or whatever. I mean, you've got these four fucking losers who are going to go take on the Justice Society. If I, if I was going to battle a superhero team, the very first thing I would do, at, at the very least, my strategy would be I want double the amount of people on my team that they have on their team. <laughs> Even if I've got a team full of, you know, 40 complete fucking loser villains, at least I've got 40 villains. At least I've got more people on my side than they have on their side. But they get these four guys, and they're going to go tackle the Justice And what if Superman had been hanging around that day? If Superman had been there, he'd have kicked all their asses at once. You know, they wouldn't even have had to fight anybody else. And plus, you yeah, know, no doubt. There, there happens to be only four JSAers home at the time that these guys come to battle them. Normally, there's like 75 JSAers hanging around, you know. But just when they happen to attack with, with their measly four people, there's only four people home at the JSA headquarters. And it's, ah, yeah. it drives me crazy. Uh, another thing that drives me nuts in comic books is when the writer or artist or whoever is responsible for such things seems to forget what the environment is. You know, like they're out, you know, <laughs> they'll be in a space adventure, yet everybody can talk and breathe. You know, they're on the surface of the moon or something, but everybody can still talk and breathe. Or, you know, they're, they're quietly walking through some scene. And a guy that makes a shitload of noise is still able to sneak up on him because you, know, you can't hear noise in a comic book, so you're not really supposed to think about it. Well, you know, the moment like that in this issue is where Power Girl and the Star Spangled Kid arrive in Alaska and they find Wildcat and he's strapped to the side of the Alaskan pipeline. They're in fucking Alaska. And he's a regular dude. I mean, he's probably froze to death by this point. Right? <laughs> yeah, there is ice on the pipeline, and he's strapped to it. So, if anything else, he's stuck to that for a little right. while. Right. You know, I mean, he does get warmed up later by the uh, cosmic rod, I think. But still, I mean, I would have liked at least one moment where where they were concerned that, gee, I hope he's not froze to death, or you know, whatever. It's not to me. It's not sufficiently addressed that. You know, that they are in <laughs> the Arctic, basically, you know, that there's a chance they're going to freeze to death. I can understand Power Girl not being affected by the cold and maybe even the Star-Spangled Kid. But, you know, the the wizard or whatever the hell his name is, is just a fucking magician. So how is he keeping warm and not freezing his balls off? You know, Wildcat's just a regular dude. He's just a boxer. So how is he not freezing to death? It's just I've got a better question for you. Why does Brainwave look like this again? Oh, you know what? That's a good. That's a really. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a good question. Now, is this his son? Because his son, eventually, we do see does look like this. Yeah, but he's a hero. He becomes a hero, but doesn't he kind of vacillate back and forth? If I remember right. No, he was just crazy. Oh, okay. I thought he started out I'll as have a. To look. Yeah, I can't remember either. I never liked that character because he was obsessed with Jade. Right. And you know. Green women are awesome, so I kind of feel. <laughs> well, as Captain Kirk will tell you, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm serious. I no. thought Brainwave Junior started out as a bad guy, though. Did he? Did he not? I can't remember. I, I can't remember either. Usually, I'm pretty good on those things. I mean, if it was a question about a Superman character, I could probably tell you 
immediately and give you issue numbers, but it's kind of why I like doing this podcast because it's a bit of a challenge for me because I actually have to do the the research and the legwork on on stuff like this. But that sort of thing literally just occurred to me as we were talking about it, so I don't have notes. So, like, you know, like looking at the the promo poster or the promo art for when Infinity Inc. starts up, you know, you got all those great characters – but you know, there's you know, whenever a, a team like that starts up, typically there's one guy that you're like, ah, I could give a shit if he dies. And Brainwave Junior was that character for me. I just, I never warned Northwind. Yeah, well, I didn't like him either. But he was more likable than Brainwave Junior, though. I just said, uh, you know, if if Northwind, if they had made a, a, a Infinity Incorporated live action series in the '80s, Northwind would have been played by Lavar Burton, <laughs> given a shit. <laughs> So, I mean, I like Jordy LaForge, but come on. <laughs> he was pretty much useless on Star Trek, too. Well, I don't know if I could say useless, but he was... No, he was pretty my... good in the engineering room. I just got sick of him like I can't get laid. I love that fact that the Jordy couldn't get laid. It actually cracks me up quite a bit. <laughs> just once I wanted it. It's because I'm blind, isn't it? He never did it, though. Where the hell were we? Oh, um... Did they at least fix the goddamn pipeline? I think they okay. did. They probably did it off-panel. I'd like to think so. I'd like that they to think that they wouldn't deprive millions of people of heating oil and not think two things about it, you know? I think that's about all I got on this one. But yeah, that's all I got, I too. love the art. God, I just I can't stop gushing about the art. This is just no, the art, the art really picks up, and like I said, from here on in, the book is consistently good. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps getting better. Yep. Even the adventure comic stuff, which is a little more haphazard because it wasn't an on- it was an ongoing feature in adventure, but it wasn't like it felt different. It felt more like, hey, here's an adventure with these three characters, right? Yay! But they didn't and they didn't that- short it though. I mean, it still kept the feel of yeah. All Star. You know, even though it was just a feature within adventure, it wasn't like they suddenly said, okay, you got to cut this down to. You know, five pages an, a, an issue or whatever. It still felt like a full blown story. Every every issue of Adventure. Well, Adventure was a pretty fat book at the time, right? So, and I didn't really care for most of the other features in it at the time. You know what surprises me though is I was just looking in my collection because I got to thinking, you know, God, I hope I have all those Adventure issues, and I do. That only ran from four sixty one to four sixty seven. That's yeah. Or 466, I mean, yeah, 466. Uh. Six issues, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's going to be, you know, when we get to that point, and we're, God, we're over halfway there. Because mm-hmm. uh, this this thing ends at 74. Right. And we're on 66. So we're we're getting towards where we're going to be there. we got a couple little pit stops to make along the way. Right. With, uh, with the JSA origin in two weeks. And then in a couple weeks after that, we have a or origin of a character that we both like a lot. Mm-hmm. But then you know when we get into those adventure books, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be over for the JSA. So what happens? Then we get to what happens between uh, Adventure four sixty six and uh, and say All Star number one? What uh, All Star Squadron number one? What I think there were a few Justice League crossovers. Okay, we could talk about those. Cool. 
But I mean, pretty pretty much, we're going straight to to you folks. You folks just tune out for a little. Uh, Scott and I are going to do some uh, some some show prep while we're on air. So. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that I think the listeners will find this interesting too. I'm just, I, I guess, I never really stopped to think about it. I, I was thinking that, well, we pretty much go from adventure straight to all star, but that's a span of what, like eight years or something. There's got to be more stuff in there. I would think seventy nine to eighty one. That's two years. Is it 79? 79 when Adventure ended. Oh, okay. And then 81 when... Uh, oh, I was thinking it was lo- longer... Okay. All right. I just was thinking there was a bigger gap there. Okay. We'll figure out something to do for a couple for a couple uh, episodes before we hop into the Wayback Machine. Cool. The theme changes from, like, what we're using now to In the Mood. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not itching to, to, like put more stuff in between i'm just saying anything that's in there i want to cover it most definitely but wow it, it, it surprises me for some reason i was thinking that that uh this was like 76 77 and then uh all-star squadron didn't start to like 83 or something i, I don't know why i was thinking that but I, I was just i don't know i thought there was a lot bigger gap between those two books but i guess not that's pretty wild of course, I didn't come right on to All Star Squadron when it started either. I mean, I started on that title late. I started. I think the first issue I ever bought was when they were doing that three way crossover between JLA, JSA, and uh, why they had a three way. <laughs> what was the other title? That's my, that's my juvenile laughing for the for the. Thing. <laughs> What was the other title? There was a third. Was it Infinity Incorporated? I can't remember. No, it was just Justice. It was just uh, Justice League and All Star Squad. Oh, okay. I thought there was a third title. It was a five part story. Yeah, I remember it being a five part, but I, th- I could have swore there was one other title in there. And during the crisis, it was Infinity Incorporated and Justice League. Right. I believe. Right. I think so. Uh, I can't wait to get to Crisis. We're gonna have a lot. That's gonna be a blast. Oh man, that's that. Sh- this show is gonna take on like epic proportions. Yeah, it will because I, I I've been itching for the long ever since I got into podcasting. I've been wanting to talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths because it's my favorite comic book thing. You know, com- favorite event, favorite story, everything. And uh, yeah, that'll be the chance to really and and I think that's. For me personally, I think that's my my preferred way to approach it is from the Earth Two perspective mm-hmm. because I think yeah. that was the thing that was most affected by the crisis. Well, there's so much that happens mm-hmm. uh, during the crisis. All Star Squadron for almost the entire series for like six or seven issues has is part of the crossover, right? And one of the yeah, biggest biggest thing, you know, because there was a lot of them that had the banner of Crisis Crossover. Yeah. Not shit happens, but the sky turns red. But All-Star Squadron, you know, there's issues that are... And Infinity. Yeah, and Infinity. There's issues that are bannered and unbannered where the Crisis is just playing fucking havoc with the world that they're in and the events that are going on. And it was integral to those stories that were happening at the time. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging into that stuff big time. Well, let's move on to the ads. Sweet. Which are, yeah, they're pretty good this time out. The, the house ads, at least. I mean, we got we start off with a super bodybuilding course. I'm sick of seeing this guy. <laughs> I am, too. And then another, you know, like, page of the be taller, you know, make money the easy way, supply everything free, you know, blah, 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 blah. Bionic uh, hand! Oh, I want a bionic hand. I could talk. Well, it's kind of, it, 
it, it's kind of interesting. I was watching the news the other day, and, and up in uh, up in the north side, there is a Michael Bailey that just got a bionic hand. So, oh, that's cool. <laughs> it was really weird, Michael Bailey. I'm like, what? Oh, they're not talking to me. It's the TV bionic uh, hand, that lifelike hand that you control. Oh, I could do all kinds of sick, perverted things with a bionic hand that if, I control. If, I'm sorry. If I ever got bionics, I would make them put in the sound chips. Yeah, it's it's you gotta have that. What the hell's good at bionics without that sound? Another bodybuilding. Let Joe Weeder. I don't want to let Joe Weeder anywhere near me if he's going to dress like that. Does he not look like he's playing with a Stretch Armstrong? Man, that thing stretches to next week. I want to see it snap and hit him right in the eye. Or in the nuts. That would be funny. funny. Right in the tic tacs. Yeah, hard to find it on a bodybuilder, though. Alrighty. Hey, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, right there in the coupon box. Joe proudly poses with famous pupil Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Olympia winner. It sure is. Joe's got a creepy mustache, by the way. So. <laughs> he looks like the funky Flashman. <laughs> the funky Flashman of Earth Prime. Yes. It's Joe Weeder. I'd work out, too, if my last name had weed in it. So. <laughs> um, first house ad is February. It's the second month, and it features the second issue of... Jonah Hex. <sighs> I figured you'd like that. Uh, we got the second appearance of Black Lightning. We've got the second Scalp Hunter story in Weird Western. Did you ever read any Scalp Hunter? No. It's good. Man. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, good. Well, like I've been telling you, you know, I really want to start checking out random shit from DC in this era just to see what it was like. Well, you know, I'm a big Jonah Hex fan, and and a couple of yes. years ago, I I, I made the commitment to. Uh, to get all of the Jonah Hex books. And, of course, the, the hard one to track down was, you know, his first appearance back in, uh, what is that? I think it's All-Star Western, if I remember right. Something like that. Probably. And uh, and then it became Weird Western Tales, and I, bought, I got all the Weird Western Tales, and then I started getting Jonah Hex. But Weird Western Tales continued beyond Jonah Hex. When Jonah left, they just created a new feature called Scalp Hunter. And... It's weird. I, I'm not a Western guy, guy at all. I, I, I really don't like Westerns. But for some reason, I thought, you know, I've got the entire run of, of weird Western tales. Right from when Jonah Hex, you know, took over the title, right on through. I should collect the rest of this series. Because it, it's really only a handful of issues after Jonah leaves with Scalp Hunter. So I went ahead and I collected them and I read them. And damn, that's some good stuff. It, it, it's a total departure from Jonah Hex. It's a totally different kind of Western, but it was really, really cool. I really liked it. it was basically, this this guy, uh, I think his name is Brian Savage, and he's actually a white man, but he was raised by Indians, so he feels like like he doesn't really belong in either world because his fellow Indians don't really dig him. And then white people think that he's a fucking Indian, and and you know this was at a time when Indians were you know not really welcomed at least in the world he's in anyway. So he really is like one of these man of two worlds, but at home in neither one kind of characters. And he was cool as shit, man. I really liked these, and he didn't take any fucking guff from anybody in those stories. I mean, he he'd fucking scalp you just for looking at him cross cross eyed. It was great. I, I loved it. Really good. Did series. you ever see that um, 
that two-part episode of uh, of Justice League Unlimited, where they went to the past mm-hmm. and met Jonah Hex mm-hmm. and, and Scalp Hunter and all that? What'd you think of that? I, was Scalp Hunter in that? I don't remember him being in that. No, it was another Powwow Smith. It was Powell Smith. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. I like him, too, though. I, I don't know a whole lot about him. I, I, only, I think I've only ever read one or two stories with him, but I do like him. But, yeah, I, I love that episode because that episode actually references, in a very vague way, it, yeah. it references the 18-issue Hex series, which, you know, is, is one of those... Figure you folks are from the future. Yeah. Really? How do you know? I've led an interesting <laughs> Yeah, life. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Because you know, a lot of a lot of people really, really, really frown on that series. I've heard nothing but good things. I liked it. it. I, I thought it was good. I mean, it's not the greatest thing ever written, but if you take it in the spirit that I think it was intended in, I I thought it was a lot of fun because it, basically it was this this rich, powerful guy in the future decides that he's going to use his money to snatch all these historical people out of time for i don't know it's like a fucking space museum or some i can't remember what the hell the deal is but hex ends up getting nabbed out of time and escapes of course and he finds himself here he is this you know 18 or 19th century bounty hunter he's in like a post-apocalyptic mad max style world in the mid 21st century and i thought it was cool i mean if you can get past some of the I mean, they're obviously modeling the world that he's in after Mad Max because that was yeah the Road Warrior was a big fucking deal at this time. If you can get past that trapping of the story, there's some good stuff in there. There's the, one of the best stories was uh, he meets up with a guy who's the Batman of the 21st century, and that was a fucking cool story. I, I really dug it. It was really neat. And uh, do. Mm-hmm. Do you watch Brave and the Bold? I'm way behind, but I was watching it when it started up. Because Hex is on there, Jonah Hex is. Yeah. And, and they make him a bounty hunter for Mongol. Mongol, yeah. And it was an interesting episode. I, I You know, Hex is one of those characters that I... He's kind of in the gray zone. I've, I've, I don't hate him, but I don't know much about him. But he always appealed to me mm-hmm. because it was just you know there there was an issue of Generations Three, right? That had Jonathan Kent running into Jonah Hex, mm-hmm. and it was kind of badass. I liked it. I liked it a lot. He, he's just so I need to check him. Check more of him. He's out. just a super badass character. That's what I like about him. He he's literally like the Boba Fett of the DC universe. That's really what he is. And he's just fucking badass. And, uh, you know, I, am always telling people to check out Jonah Hex. Cause you know, you, you gotta get past the, the, the Western trappings. I think that's the number one reason people are turned off by is I don't like Westerns. I don't care for, you know, horse opera, but that's really not what it is at all. Sure. It takes place in the old West, but it's really more about this guy. Who's just an incredible badass. Yeah, well, Hex always struck me as a character from from listening to you talk about the character on on past issues of Back to the Bins, as one of those guys that he's not going to get involved, but fuck, if he gets involved, get out of his way. Yeah, exactly. Because he's going to kill you. Exactly. Yeah, very much (laughs) so. You know, and I like characters like that because, you know, this is going to sound weird. That's kind of how I am, you know. 
I, I, I don't want any trouble. I don't want anything. But, man, if I'm going to commit to something, I'm going to commit to it. So, What I like about him is he's totally unpredictable. Because yeah. that kind of character, the anti-hero type of thing, you know, the guy that doesn't want to get involved and ends up getting involved could come off – you know, it, it could come off very smaltzy. It could come off totally predictable to where you find out, oh, he's really got a heart of gold kind of thing. That's not Jonah Hex. One issue, you might find him to where he gets pulled into a story with widows and orphans and he does the right thing. And you think, oh, he's, he's really a good guy at his center and he's got a heart of gold. And then the very next issue, he might kick a, a, a crippled widow off a cliff, which he actually fucking <laughs> did in one of, one of his stories. He actually kicks a crippled woman off a cliff. So, you know, you never know what he's going to do, and that's the great thing about it is every time you think you've got this character figured out, he he does something that's just shocking and horrifying to go, holy shit, he's a no-good son of a bitch. And that's that's what I love about it. It always keeps you guessing on, on what he's going to do and, and what his real motivations are and, and all that sort of thing. Because every time you think that he's going soft and you know he's starting to become more heroic and all that, then he just does something that's – just completely wrong <laughs> i love it love it uh the last two books on this on this ad is the second set of the first two dc dollar books uh which are superman family and and uh, the house of mystery on the next page you got another subscription ad it's the basic shot of superman holding the mailbag but the comic in his hand this time is the first dollar comics edition of superman family 182 i believe and the 14th issue of the Amazing World of DC Comics is all about the Justice League of America. Mm-hmm. And it has a has this great image of most of the leaguers, like Elongated Man, the Atom, Batman, Flash, Black Canary, Hawkman, and Green Arrow, sitting there looking dumbfounded when Superman comes in and goes, one of you Justice Leaguers g- gave out our top secrets, and I want to know who and why. I like that. I think that's is that Nick Cardi? I think that's Nick Cardi. I believe so. Yeah, I love that. Uh, King Kong is back apparently. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love that movie. Well, actually, the, the I was looking at it thinking this was the cover strictly to the '76 uh, version, but it also has a picture of the original version too. But I love the '76 King King Kong movie. You just like seeing what's her name's breasts as he blows the water out of her hair. You bet your ass. <laughs> Um, we have who or what is the changing man. <laughs> so we have the one character in the DC universe I have never given a rat's ass. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you about. say that. I feel the same exact way. <sighs> Steve Ditko, look, dude, Doctor Strange, Amazing Spider-Man, the question, I'm all about it. Shade the changing man, sorry. <laughs> Not my thing. That's an, that's an interesting costume. I just don't care. Would I be stoned to death if I admitted that beyond Spider-Man, I never liked Steve Ditko. It wouldn't be like the first thing you'd be stoned to <laughs> by rabbit comic fans, but... You no, know, in all honesty, you know, we keep, we have this conversation again and again and again, but, you know, it bears repeating. There is a... There are too many comic fans out there that get blindly obsessed with an artist or a writer and just like everything they've ever done has to be you know immortalized and bronzed and you know and you know, it's like they took a crap last week so i'm gonna dip that in some gold right and, and and we're gonna put it into the museum you know and i appreciate 
I appreciate that passion because passion is what drives you know Scott and I to do as many freaking podcasts as we do <laughs> or insanity. Um, yeah, well, I was about to say that, but <laughs> but you know, Ditko, Kirby, Swan, um, artists like that. Yeah, they deserve all the respect in the world, but that doesn't mean that everybody has to like their work. Right. And not everything they did was winners. I'm sorry. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy is cute. Not Kirby's best. Right. So, so and with Ditko, Shade the Changing Man, you know, it was a goofy concept. DC was throwing a lot of things at the wall to see what stuck, and this just wasn't it for me. Right. So... Uh, but we're going to stop kind of talking about what's going on in D.C. because we're saving that for a little feature. Ah, it's yeah. Really, really awesome. Uh, we have D.C.'s Super Power Shield. I guess they're just Frisbees. <laughs> Some um, kid somewhere tried to take a bullet with one of these and was deeply disappointed just before he expired. <laughs> I was about to say, three minutes before he bled out, it's just like, I thought... Uh, so, I want my 349 back. <laughs> and they have comic savers, one holding 12, one holding uh, 24. We talked about those in the past. Yep. I, I'm with you. The concept of having them in a three-ring binder to put on a bookshelf is nice in theory, but for me, it's not practical. Yep. And it really, it really makes me think of how mentally disturbed you and I are in our ilk <laughs> for for having as many comics. Because when you think about it, it's like, you saw the movie Unbreakable, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, at the very beginning, it says the average person will own 1,250 comic books in their life. And I went, fucking lightweight. <laughs> but it made me realize that that's true. Most people... It's like most people get really excited when they get to their first, they get they have to buy their second long box because I remember that feeling my when I was f- fifteen. <laughs> my wife and I so, watched that movie together on DVD when it came out, and that thing came up at the beginning that gives that little number, and she looked over at me and she goes, "How many comics do you have?" And you know, I can't think of the last thing that made me blush. But that did it right there. I, was like, <laughs> I don't know that I want to tell you, you know, because it's at least ten times that amount. <laughs> well, try watching that movie with somebody that has osteogenesis imperfecta, and, uh, and that was an interesting movie-going experience because oh, my wife has what Samuel L. Jackson had in the movie, and <laughs> we're sitting there in the theater, <laughs> and it's quiet. And the baby's born at the very beginning of that film, and the the guy's just like, "What did you guys do to this baby?" And, he, and they're like, "Nothing. It was just born. Both its arms or legs are broken." And I hear this very loud, "Is that it?" <laughs> Walk it off, pussy. That's what she said when he fell down the stairs. <laughs> Get up. You can crawl to a phone. (laughs) She can't watch the movie anymore because she's had two very bad breaks since then. And and she kind of goes into, it's like a Vietnam vet hitting the ground when a car backfires. (laughs) Uh, She doesn't like seeing people get broken anymore. But but at the time, it was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, That's pretty much it for. I know you didn't pass out. It's okay. You went to, into shock. She thinks you're selling okay. her out, man. <laughs> uh, 
on the back cover or the back inside cover, we have Tycho Silver Streak Curve Huggers. Uh, you know what we didn't men- mention last time? There was an Evil Knievel ad. I know, I know, I missed it. I was, I was just. I'm sorry, about- I forgot to remind. No, no, it's not your fault. I, I was thinking that too. But we talked about Evil Knievel before. Yeah, yeah, but to death. Um, before we get to the highlight of the ads, according to most people. We have the Daily Planet for the week of February 21st, 1977. You know what I think would be a worthwhile internet endeavor? Is to scan all of these in so you can go and look at them. I think there's a site that's that's done that or was doing that. or I remember seeing something about that on some forum or something. Something to do with Daily Planets that maybe they were going to be... you know, Because not long ago there was a book published of all of Stan's soapboxes from yes. Marvel Comics. Maybe that's what I was seeing about this, that some, there was they were going to publish all the Daily Planets or there was a site that was collecting them all or some... Oh, that's what it was. It was uh, There was a guy that was trying to collect them all and he was soliciting people to submit them from their own collections because he didn't, he, he didn't have them all in his own collection and he was asking people to send them in and he was gathering them up for some website and uh that that's the last i heard about it i wonder how you know how successful he was or what but yeah i I would bet that by now there's got to be some resource out there somewhere that has all these gathered up i would expect all righty in this one we have isis abandons alter ego uh, andrea thomas disappears forever i don't know if that was forever yeah i wonder about that uh, but it was written by Jack Harris, who who was a big muckety muck writer and editor at, at DC. In fact, he uh, he helped usher in the new Ray in 1992. Ah. So, uh, DC reveals more secrets of haunted house. Secrets of haunted house returns to the DC lineup in the week of February 28th. So that's February 28th, 1978. I would be turning two. <laughs> um, Oh, it says Mike Vosberg on that ISIS R. I'd like to check that yeah. out sometime. I like yeah. Mike Vosberg. I like Vosberg, too. Uh, don't miss the thriller Diller. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets of Haunted House number six. Uh, direct Currents. You know what? We're not going to go through the Direct Currents because we're going to go through that in our in our feature after the uh, hostess ad. Sweet. So, uh, oh, there's a mini puzzle. I did scan this today, this crossword puzzle. And um, as we speak... Uh, Cutting it out so I can print it out and do it. Like, shit like this. I love doing stuff like this. I really do. I'm a big dork. I don't know if you know. Yes, I have noticed. <laughs> and Mike, we need to talk about it. <laughs> We're holding an intervention next week. <laughs> you have to stop. Oh, yeah. You hold an intervention on having too many comics or being too much of a dork. That that, that would be like uh, Richard Pryor holding an intervention on being a coke. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to do those eight balls. Uh, all righty. So now we have the hostess ad, which is another Batman one, which is okay. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> who, do you, who do you want to read in this one? Um, you've been bogarting the, as you refer to it, not me, uh, the heroes. So uh, I'll uh, I'll be Batman okay. in this one. So you can you can be just about everyone. Else. All right. I'll be the women too. How about that? That'll make up. <laughs> all right. So this is Batman in. The whole world's upside down. We've got the topsy-turvy man, arch-villain, has the ability to turn things upside down. He says, what's up is up, what's down is down, except when topsy-turvy's around. And then some woman says, suddenly everything seems (laughs) topsy-turvy. 
Batman, you must help us turn things around. I'll get right on top of this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it's Christian Bale, Batman. (laughs) And Topsy Turvy says, what goes up must come down. Loose change, tight paper money, all mine for the scooping. The big bonus, all those delicious hostess fruit pies. Look at all that real fruit filling and tender light crust. Fair warning, Topsy. I'll bend over backwards to make things right. You can stand on your head, mighty Batman. For all I care, all I want is the apple, cherry, and lemon I can get. If you can't start at the top, start at the bottom, and work your way up, I always say. And then he punches him square in the face. (laughs) Things are on the up and up again. And my luscious fruit, hosted fruit pie, is back in my hands again where it belongs. It's hard to be up when you're down. You'll get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Fruit Pies. I want a freaking This guy's plan doesn't fucking work. He's turned the world upside down, right? So all this change and and everything is dropping out of people's pockets. We see all this change and loose bills and everything falling. And he says, where the hell was it? All mine for the scooping. Where is he going to scoop it off? The fucking sky? I don't. Damn it. I want logic in these things. Just once I want one to make logical sense. And so far, not a one of them has made any logical sense. It makes my brain hurt. You want you want logical sense in the in the hostess fruit? Yes. This, this is what you're this is what you're 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 trying to lay down on. All right, look. Some nuts can wish for like world peace and stuff, which is never going to fucking happen. But this is something that could actually happen. You could make sense out of a hostess fruit pie ad. God damn it. Right. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> no, I'm just Come on. Kidding. It's a lot more doable than bringing peace to the Middle East. Okay. Let's baby steps. Baby steps. Okay. <laughs> baby steps. For, for <laughs> that's an interesting baby step. First, uh, fruit pie, hostess fruit pie ads that make sense. Second step, peace in the Middle East. <laughs> it sounds like that, like that flow chart with the with the underpants gnomes from from <laughs> step one steal all underpants <laughs> step three hostess fruit pie ads make sense we're, we're fuzzy on the middle part <laughs> all righty um we have a quick character profile and then we're going to introduce our, our new segment which i'm really looking forward to so we're going to get we're going to go through hawkman and this is my apology right now to all fans of Hawkman. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Hawkman. I never really have been. I've liked certain eras of the character, but right now he's wearing the mask, and I hate that. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know, but how do you feel about Hawkman? You know, it's weird how we keep saying things that the other one's, like, thinking or... Oh, okay. <laughs> because up until that series, I'm trying to remember who the hell it was that was... I know Palmiotti had something to do with it. I'm trying to remember who else worked. The Johns one? What, was it? Yeah, I was like... thinking it was Jeff Johns. I couldn't remember. Yeah, it was the one that started in, uh, in 2002. Yeah, let me see. I'm bringing up a cover image right now to tell you who worked on that in the beginning. I think it was Johns, Palmiotti, and Gray. Right. Or... No, Palmiotti. Palmiotti and Gray came after Johns. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah, I think you're right. Damn it, what's taking oh. this thing so long? Okay, there we go. Yeah, Johns, Robinson, and Morales, that was it. Oh, and, my, and Mike Bear did uh, did some work on it, probably inks. But yeah, up until that series, never, ever liked Hawkman. I thought he was, like, super, super lame. Because, I mean, to me, he was just, he was a dude that had wings. It was like, so what? You know, in a world with 
Superman and Power Girl and Supergirl and Green Lantern and all these other people, he just, I don't know, he just didn't wow me at all. But somehow or other, I, I can't remember why, I got sucked into that that John series. Probably because it crossed over with JSA at one point. There was a, a crossover that went back and forth. And also, I think, you know, just the, the fact that Robinson had something to do with that, and I was such a Starman fan. But that sucked me in, and it, it it had a you know they made a real effort to make sense of this guy's fucking convoluted backstory. Yeah, and that was like that was like the first miracle in, on, on John's way of getting into sainthood. Right, <laughs> and and I suddenly I found that okay I dig this character because you know I, I'm I'm one of those guys I'll subscribe to that you know whoever it was that said that there's no bad characters. Mm-hmm. I'll subscribe to that because I really think there are no bad characters. I think you can take the lamest character and and you know if you do it right and you do it creatively, I think you could turn it around and you can make anybody interesting. And they did it with Hawkman, you know, and and that's that's a character I never in a million years figured I would ever ever like. And now I kind of think he's kind of cool. But yeah, back when I was a kid, well, I, I'm I'm more of a fan of the Golden Age Hawkman. I never went into Hawkman Space Cop. Right. Uh, just because I just I just didn't like that. I didn't like the Earth One iteration of the character. But uh, the original Hawkman, Carter Hall, was created by Gardner Fox and Dennis Neville and first appeared in Flash Comics number 1, January 1940. He is archaeologist Carter Hall, who has dreams of a life in Egypt and finally realizes he is the reincarnation of Prince Khufu, who had a feud with a kind of sorcerer-type character named Hathset. Hathset murdered Khufu and his consort, and that feud is brought into the present when Carter recognizes a scientist named Anton Haster as the reincarnation of Hathset. Carter uses Inth Metal which I forget how he discovered Nth Metal. I I think it was that he just basically had it. And he uses it to fashion a flying harnesses and uses the weapons of the past to fight the crime of the present. He fights Haster and encounters Shiera Sanders, who is the reincarnation of his consort. And following the defeat of Haster, the two begin a romance, and Hawkman begins fighting crime or going and fighting... uh, Molaron, you know, in that one adventure we read about. He was a founding member of the JSA and followed the others into retirement. He came back with the others. And, you know, Hawkman didn't do a whole lot until this series, from what I understand. I don't even think there was an issue of the Silver Age Hawkman where he met his counterpart. Oh, you could be right. I mean, is his, uh... Is that true? I mean, I know that happened in, in JLA crossovers that that they met but when, whether there was any like sta- you're talking like a standalone like a brave and the bold or something like that i, I don't yeah. i don't i don't think so so well he didn't i mean did he ever really maintain his own book for for any any length of time i know he had a, a run in what was it like showcase his, or something like that and he had his own title for a little while it's just hawkman was one of those characters that seemed to do a lot better as a member of the justice league 
than anything else. Right. I mean, he had his own series in the 80s, that, that the Silver Age incarnation, which was rather good for what it was. It's just I never really got into the character, mm-hmm. especially since he was such an asshole in Infinity Incorporated. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know that, that was that was another thing I think that held me back from liking him. It, it's the same thing I got against Green Arrow and uh, and Hawkeye over at Marvel is that there were certain characters I get now where they were coming from that they that they were the guys that were intended to bring a little bit of conflict, a little bit of uh, you know the 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 instigator or the, or not instigator but the. Uh, the dissenting opinion on the team or something like that. But when I was a kid, those type of characters, I would simply chalk up to, Oh, he's an asshole because, because he wasn't going with the fucking plan. You know, you, you got you, you guys like green arrow just annoyed the shit out of me when I was a kid. Cause you got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, all those guys are going, okay, let's go beat up the bad guy. And then you got green arrow going, well, Jesus Christ, you know, all we do is blah, 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 blah. And he, by being that dissenting, whatever he was supposed to be, the voice of reason or the voice of the other side of the argument or whatever, as a kid, I just looked at him and said, what is this fucking guy's problem? Why doesn't he get with the plan? Superman just said, let's go do this. Why is he giving Superman shit, you know? And why are you giving Superman lip? Superman doesn't deserve lip jacket. Right, yeah. And so (laughs) characters like that, you know, like, same thing with Hawkeye. Hawkeye, to me as a kid, existed solely to give Captain America shit. And I never understood why Captain America didn't slap him down any more than I didn't understand why Superman didn't slap Green Arrow down. <laughs> you want that? You want that cut scene of Captain America going, uh, Clint? Can I? Uh, can I see you over here? You know, in the other room where no one can see or hear us for a minute. Sure, Cap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you do that again, and I'll kick your punk ass all over this place. <laughs> I am the most efficiently trained fighting machine on this planet. If you think your little trick bow is going to get me... You, no, no, look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> I will beat you in front of Mockingbird and then I'll go have sex with her in front of Oh! <laughs> Shut up. Alright, guys, let's go. You on board, Hawkeye? Yes! Yeah, yeah, I'll be alright. <laughs> I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> I gotta go change. So. <laughs> I'll make Mockingbird hold my shield while I kick your ass. <laughs> that was always a joke among our friends is that you always make the guy, the dude you're about to kick his ass, you always make his girlfriend hold your jacket. <laughs> All righty, do you want to you wanna introduce what we're going to be doing from now on? Sure. Uh, now, you have hooked me on a site that, uh, that you've been pimping quite a little bit on... Uh, <clears throat> on um, what the hell show have you been pimping this site on? from Crisis, from Crisis, 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 Crisis Superman okay. podcast? One of, your, one of your multitude of shows out there. Yeah, this is uh, a site called Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, and on there you can kind of see. You know, well, I mean, there's all kinds of cool features on there, but what I like is you can see what came out at the same time as. You know any given DC book. So I've been looking on here. This is how I've been starting to try to keep track of 
you know, where else might JSAers be appearing at the same time that they're appearing in All-Star Comics? And so I just thought it'd be interesting, you know, almost as a supplement to that uh, that DC, or excuse me, the Daily Planet feature that we uh, that started to pop up in the back of the issues we're reviewing. Just kind of take a look at the other DC titles that were coming out, you know, at the same time as a, as a particular issue that we're looking at. So right now we we just looked at uh, All Star Comics sixty six, and uh, so this was on sale the month the uh, month of February nineteen seventy seven, and. Uh, Wow, some of the great titles that were coming out. You know, we had like Batman number two eighty seven, stuff like it. What mm-hmm. what jumps out at you on on this page? Um, the Freedom Fighters number eight, oh, yeah. because that's when they fight against the Crusaders. I've always liked Brave and the Bold, so you got him teaming up with the Green Lantern in issue one thirty four. That Batman family cover makes me laugh. It's got it's Batgirl and Robin getting married and Robin's tux it has the cape is red and has the Robin symbol. I love that cover. I really that's a Jim Aparo cover. Yes, yes it now, is. Speaking of Jim Aparo, during this time he was doing one of my favorite projects he ever did which was uh his Aquaman work. Now this is Aquaman in Adventure Comics. Um now he would go on to have his own series again. He would pick up the numbering of his own series again and have an Aquaman title again. And uh, Jim Aparo did all that stuff. And man, I'm telling you, whether whether you like Aquaman or not, that's some damn good reading. There's some really yes, good stories is. in there, and it's I've it's heard very good things. You know, it's the one time that Aquaman was truly awesome. That that Jim Aparo stuff is fantastic, especially. Um, I think it was the last issue of he was in of Adventure, number four fifty seven. I think, if I'm not mistaken, was the Something like was that. the issue where uh, where his uh, his son uh, Arthur Junior gets killed, and that's a powerful issue, really powerful mm-hmm. issue, really good stuff. Another one that stands out to me is Superman number three eleven. This is where uh, a few, I think it was a year or two before this, back in uh, Superman 282. I guess that would be a few years before this. In Superman 282, in the backup, there was a story called The the Loneliest Man in the Universe about this guy. Oh, God, I can't remember what the hell his name was. He, he became... Through his own toying with Kryptonian science, he became a human Rondor and therefore was immortal. So when Krypton blew up, he didn't die. He just floated out there in space. And this is the issue where he came to Earth and fought Superman. And he basically, by floating out there in space all these however many years it had been, He'd gone stark raven bonkers. So by the time he came to Earth, he was like a super powerful Kryptonian nut job, immortal, who fought Superman. And it, that's a pretty good issue, actually. It's a multi-part, too, if I remember right. I think that story actually stretches for several yeah. issues. Who did this Legion of Superheroes cover? That's a Mike Grell cover uh, on 227. Uh, trying to swear is... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have that issue, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that is a micro. But we got Superman Family, number 183. Oh, I was wrong. Family I thought that was 182, but you're right. It is 183. That's a, uh, a nice uh, Neil Adams cover, too. I always like that one because it's creepy. Uh, is that the first appearance of the Phosphorus Man in Detective Comics? Doc Phosphorus? I think so, yeah. I always liked him as a... I not really wanted to see him all that often, right. but... You know, it's funny, the uh, number of, uh, of Jim Aparo... Uh, 
covers. Yeah, here. I, w- I was thinking that of, of how uh, of how a lot of the, especially all the Batman ones for Jim. Apera. Yeah, the secret the secret origins of supervillains are DC Superstars number fourteen. That's a Jim Apero cover. And that one down there, Secrets of Haunted House, kind of looks like it might be a Jim Apero cover too. I'm not sure. Yep, that's that's Apero. Wow. It's just looking at all these covers, and we're going to probably be saying this a lot. There just seem to be a lot of. It may not have all been good, but it certainly was interesting. It was exciting at the at the very least. It's you know it's the last time I felt that you know sometimes you can look at DC especially and Marvel, but DC. And you can see, hey, there's something going on here. Right. And the last time I bought into that with DC was around the time of Infinite Crisis, Mm -hmm. where everything seemed to be firing on all cylinders. And it happened in the 90s, and it happened in the 80s. And with everything going on at DC right now with, uh, you know, Jeanette Kahn, not now, as in now, now is in, in 1976, in 1977, with Jeanette Kahn taking over... And we're about to hit the DC explosion, you know, around this time where you just have DC putting out title after title after title after title. Right. And unfortunately, that leads to the DC implosion. Yeah. But but there's just a lot of really neat things going on, and it's just you can't help but look at these covers and go, wow, this was kind of cool. And some of these you can find... Dirt freaking! Oh yeah, and some of it's damn good reading too. Um, you know, like you know the weird war stuff you always see in the fifty cent bins. The Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter, uh, Freedom Fighters are hard to find. I, I need a couple issues to fill out my collection of that. Uh, unfortunately, my I don't want to go into how my database disappeared <laughs> because it'll just make me cry again. But. Well, since we're talking about a, a bi-monthly title, skip ahead to the next month here. There's some there's some truly awesome ones in the in the next month too. Uh, yeah, the first appearance of the Joker's daughter in mm-hmm. the Teen Titans in number f- uh, forty uh, Teen Titans forty eight. Uh, got an issue of Plastic Man. <laughs> Oh, I got World's Finest when it becomes a dollar book. Couple I like. I love that Neil. That uh, yeah, it's Neil Adams cover on World's yes, Finest. Yes. And uh, yeah, that's one of the ones with Vigilante. I have that one. I can't remember if I've read it or not, but I know I have that one. Couple that stand out to me is uh, DC Special number twenty-eight, Earth Shattering Disasters. It's been a while since I read it, but I remember that being a really cool, uh, cool book. And Challengers of the Unknown. Um, this was in the stretch that I was actually buying this book because for a while Dead Man and Swamp Thing became members of the team. And uh, <laughs> I remember you talking about that. Yeah, oh my God. it's great stuff. Really, really good I, stuff. I mean, Superboy and the Legion looks good, but there are some here that even even me going, "Ooh, look at how exciting everything is!" Um, yeah, Hercules Unbound, no interest. Yeah, no yeah, interest. I never had any interest, no interest in that. In, in Starfire, either. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. But, you know, you got the Metal Men, who I've never really cared about, but they're an interesting concept. I I respect them. You got Warlord, who had just started up his own series a couple months before. Yep. My brother-in-law is a big fan. Really? Man, I... Big I, fan I, of Warlord. I lucked into probably half the run of Warlord at the, at the local flea market this past year, and... 
I scarfed them all up. You're going to have to show me where this flea market is. <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> no, I will. I'd be, I'd be happy to. But, you know, it's, it's all, I'm, I'm, I make it sound like it's like this, you know, awesome repository for comics, but it's really like, you know, you, no, you got to go like every freaking weekend. And, you know, if you're lucky, maybe like every 10th trip, you'll find some good comics, but. It's just it's just the the hunt. Oh the yeah, search. that's what I like yeah, about it. The thrill of the hunt. Um, Ragman, which a friend of mine is a complete Ragman devotee. Oh really? Sounds really hot. Yeah, I got a I got a buddy who loves Ragman that paid like money for photocopies of that DC cavalcade. Uh, the can- canceled can- comics cavalcade. Yeah. But that, I started uh, re. I have that title. I think I may be mi- missing one issue of this original Ragman title, and I liked him so much. In what the hell was that book with Blue Devil and the Shadow? Yeah, Pit. I liked him in that so much that I, I dug that out and started reading it, and I thought it sucked ass. I have to be honest with you, I didn't like it, but I liked him in Shadow Pact. I thought that was a good book. We have Super Team Family. That, oh, Flash you stole my thunder. Girl. That was the one I was oh, just going to mention. That, of, of all the ones on both of these pages, that's the one that I have the most fond sentimental attachment to is that's a damn good issue. And it, it's one of the biggest mysteries for me personally in comics is what the hell ever happened to Al Weiss? He was the uh, the uh, artist on that book, and god damn it's some beautiful art. And he, I looked him up in one of those, I don't know, I, I can't remember if it was Comic Book DB, but one of those databases. And he did, like, according to them, like one or two other things, and that was it. And I'm like, whatever happened to this dude? Because that, that issue is great. Really, really fantastic art in that one. Have you ever read that issue? No. Yeah, it's a story. I haven't had a chance to. It's got uh, Flash, Supergirl, and uh, the Atom versus, I think it's T.O. Morrow. <laughs> Okay. And it's right, I think it's just prior yeah it is it's just prior to I don't know if you've ever read this but when when one of Perez's very first if not his very first story on Justice League was that um, origin of the Red Tornado story which I think is fantastic it's also uh, that was the issue that had the insert the preview of uh, All-Star Squadron yeah it's 193. And I think that story, the the JLA story in there, references back to this battle with Supergirl and, and Flash and Adam in Super Team Family number one. But it's just, it's really a good story, and Supergirl was drawn damn sexy in that. <laughs> well, sir, we only have one bit of business for this episode, and then we're done. Sweet. This issue, uh, All-Star Comics number 66, is reprinted in Justice Society, Volume 1, Trade Paperback. Get your ass out and buy it. Go raid your back issue bins. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I would rather I would rather people go and actually hunt up the, uh, the single issues than buy the trade paperback. But, damn, this trade paperback must have a lot of issues in it. Because we, yes, we've plugged in every, every episode so far, and we're still on uh, Volume 1, so... Yeah, we're about two books away from having to go to volume two. Ah, okay. So there you go. Okay, sweet. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. 
you can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Hold on just a second. You gotta throw a rock at a monkey and you can't? Oh, how do you <laughs>